Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. For those of you who have been listening listening regularly, it's like, where is the intro? There isn't one. We have pulled the intro. Over the past year, we have been doing a lot of work, and I do mean a, a lot of work to change our website. In fact, we rebuilt our website, and it is up and running now, and it is a fantastic site, and I'm very encouraged by all the work that has been done and the product that we have. Of course, with a website, it is never complete. I was sharing with somebody Recently, we're talking about the difference between renting a home or an apartment and buying a house. And once you buy a house, well, you can buy it and you can pay it off, but you never finish the house. There is always work to do. Well, websites are like that, too. And I have been desiring, praying, planning, hoping for a new website for a long time now because we have a massive warehouse and we just didn't have enough room. And so we started planning over a year ago and it is finally it has finally come to fruition and so things have changed other things have changed as well around our ministry and so i was thinking it would be a great idea if we had a new intro and outro to our podcast so perhaps some of you brilliant people out there understand our brand and what we're trying to do and you have a great idea for an intro and outro to the your daily drive podcast if you do i want to hear about it write to support at rickthomas.net and let us know your thoughts and perhaps we can use your intro and outro for our your daily drive podcast this is the podcast where i put all of our article content into audio format so that you can listen to it i'm going to jump into the article in just a few moments i have been receiving quite a bit of email in the last few weeks and a lot of encouraging email and some of those emails have been long that's not a critique i'm actually quite thankful for your long and encouraging emails but i haven't taken the time to read any of them because of their length and i thought this would be a good time to insert one in this in this podcast because it's important i believe for you all to know Uh, what's going on with this ministry. This ministry reaches a lot of people. It helps people around the world, but you wouldn't necessarily know that. And so here's an email that I want to share with you that was sent to me uh, from a lady in India, Delhi, uh, India, and I can't pronounce her name, Priyanka, Priyanka, is her first name, and she sent this email. I'll read it to you. She said, Thank you so much for all the daily podcasts and updates. We were introduced to your ministry by my aunt, who is from California, and actually studied at the Master's University. Well, and that's where I got my MA in Biblical Counseling, by the way. Uh, Priyanka goes on to say, The Master's team keep coming here to Delhi and minister to us every year. My aunt is a counselor and married my uncle and serves here in Delhi, India for more than 15 years. She was one of the reasons I wanted to go to counsel, go for counseling when I was just a teenager. My husband and I serve alongside my uncle and in his church, Planting Ministry, where your podcasts have been a huge help to us. I, too, have a degree in counseling and came to the U.S. back in 20. 20- 
14 to complete my internship as a counselor in a military school. But after I came back, biblical counseling was something that God was putting in my heart, and so my aunt helped, and I received training for that too. I wanted to enroll in your mastermind program, but it is very expensive for us here. So I'm just doing regular studies on your podcast and articles and trying to learn from it and apply it when I, uh, when we, my husband and I, counsel others. We mainly counsel newly married people and single guys and gals. So thank you so much for being a huge blessing to us. So sorry we aren't able to support your ministry through money, but we sure we surely do pray that God will continue to use you in the lives of others as he is using you in our lives. Love and respect, Mrs. Priyanka. And then there's a last name here, and I promise you it's not Smith. <laughs> and it says Delhi, India. I wanted you to hear that because it's it's important to know that the Lord is doing a good work here. And there are a lot of people who support our ministry, and they need to know where their support is going to. I have three things to say to this email from Priyanka. One, don't worry about supporting us. I don't want you to support us. Don't support us. We have people who do that. I want you to benefit from this ministry, and don't worry about it. I do appreciate your kindness and your humility by saying that. Number two, thank you for your kind email. I actually have four things to say. Thank you so much for your kind email. Number four, uh, number three, one of the best ways that you can learn from our ministry is doing exactly what you are doing, listening to these podcasts and reading this content. Sanctification doesn't happen in a minute, an hour, or a month, not in the way that we all hope it will happen in in our lives. Transformation is a progressive endeavor that takes all of our lives. And so one of the most effective ways that you can use our website and benefit from it is by doing exactly what you are doing. And that's by reading and listening and watching. And that's why we are churning out content as fast as we can. And so you're doing you're doing right and continue to study. I would add that you do one more thing, that you jump on our free forums if you have any counseling type questions, because we do that too. We are an interactive ministry, Priyanka, and we would love to interact with you. We don't do it on Facebook or any other social media platform because we just don't have that kind of team to where we can interact on all of those platforms. But we do have one, and that's on our website. And then the fourth thing, and this is not to you, Priyanka, but perhaps, and I hadn't thought about this until I read her email, that if some of you, if one of you, three of you, however many of you wanted to sponsor someone uh, like Priyanka through our Mastermind program, you can uh, pay for her schooling to put her through schooling, and that would be a fantastic opportunity to help someone in India to learn biblical counseling and to be able, I haven't talked to her about this, by the way. I, I just thought about this as I was praying through the note that she sent. And I thought, well, you know, maybe, who knows, somebody would might like to sponsor her. The reason that we do charge for our mastermind primer, we give a ton of stuff away and, and glad to do that. And, and we're going to, we're strategizing right now since our website's built to give more stuff away. But the reason that we do charge for our mastermind program is because we have a half a dozen people who actually work in our mastermind program. I work in it. 
Lucia works in it. Uh, we have Brandy Huerta, who supervises, Mark Grant, who supervises, and Julie Hansen. I guess that's five people who work in our super uh, in our mastermind program, and all of them serve in some capacity, and and all of them are paid except for Lucia. <laughs> she, She's not paid. She lives. She lives with the boss, and so I guess that's a benefit, which might not be too spiffy. When I come to think about it, uh, but it we, we there are bills. Uh, this is a this is a business. It's a ministry on the front end, and you benefit from ministry. But on the back end, it's very much a business, and uh, I, I promise you that because th- there are people that really don't care about our ministry. They just want the business side of it, and, and they are the ones that charge us for all the equipment and the things that we use. And we also want to pay those who serve this ministry, and we do have a number of people who work in the Mastermind program, and that's why we do have to charge uh, for it. And so if someone wanted to sponsor someone like Priyanka, uh, you're, you're welcome to talk to us about that. All right, let me jump into this podcast. The title of it is, is you need to budget the expectation of sin into your life. I want you to think about this title. Don't turn me off right yet. Give me about 20 seconds before you turn me off. I want you to hear the blurb first, and then you can turn me off if you want to. But the title, and again, you can read everything I'm going to share with you. You need to budget the expectation of sin into your life. One of the most natural things you will ever do is respond sinfully to the sin of another person. When you, when you do this, it reveals a lot about how you think about yourself, how you think about the other person, and how you think about the Lord. It is so easy when someone does something wrong, especially someone who is close to you. The people who are close to you, you have the highest expectations for them. And when they do something that's disappointing, I said one of the most natural things you'll ever do is to respond sinfully to them. And again, when you do it, it reveals a lot about you and your theology. Part of this problem is we don't plan for sin to happen. I'm not talking about planning to do sin, but planning for the reality of sin happening. I call it a lack of budgeting sin into your future experience. Not living in the reality of human fallenness will have tragic consequences in our lives and our relationships. There are some people who just prefer to bury their heads in the sand They don't want to deal with it. I'm using the language of budgeting as an illustration, you could say, but they don't budget for it. And again, not strategizing on how they can sin, but I'm talking about living in the reality of human fallenness because human fallenness is not just in your present, it is in your future and you need to prepare for it. Or if you don't, you will be surprised and you will react harshly, unkindly to those who disappoint you. And so again, now you can turn me off if you if you want. But if you want to read this article, Priyanka and any anyone else, please do. And I have a lot of embedded links here as well that will serve you tremendously uh, if you would just take the time to study them. You need to budget the expectation of sin into your life. Now, perhaps it would be good to start this process of thinking of budgeting a little sin into your future experience 
experience by reflecting on three questions that I have for you. My hope is that you will answer them honestly. For a double bonus, you can answer them with a friend. You can print off this article if you wish. Go to the bottom of it and hit the print button, or just send the URL and a text message to a friend and say, hey, let's let's talk about this. You you both discuss it, and that's the bonus part, or you can just do it by yourself. Here, here are my questions. Number one, have you ever been surprised when someone sinned against you? Now, you could say, let me add a question to that. Has their sin ever angered you? And I'm talking about sinful anger here. Question two, have you ever been surprised when you sin, not them, but you, but you sin. Has that ever surprised you? Maybe you can attach this second question to it. Has your sin ever tossed you into self-pity? Sometimes we look at ourselves, look at what we did, and we find ourselves just shrinking into self-pity as we we're surprised by what we did. Here's a third question. Have you ever been surprised when you heard about another person's sin? You didn't see them sin. You you weren't in the hood when they sinned. They didn't splash their sin on you. That was the first question. Did that surprise you? It's not your sin. That's the second question. The third question, when you heard about someone's sin. And the follow-up is, did their sin tempt you to criticize or gossip about them? All three of these things are real, are reality for many of us, and you know it. You know it's true. You either respond sinfully angry toward someone who's sinned, or when you're thinking about your own, you become discouraged, depressed by your sin, or you heard about someone else's and you were tempted to criticize or gossip about them. Now, as you work through these questions that I've just shared with you, what are some conclusions that you can make about yourself? Now, perhaps the word surprise that I've used here is not the, not the best word to get at the issue regarding your response to the, to the sin of others. Maybe you would say, well, I'm not surprised. I know that people, people sin. Sin happens. But what I'm really getting at is, is how do you react to them? And so if, if it's better for you, just switch out the word surprise for react, reaction, How do you react? Do you react in such a way that someone might think you were surprised? And so your child sinned, and you were very disappointed by it, and you responded sinfully to them. They may say, wow, she's really surprised by that, or or they reacted angrily. Maybe it was your spouse who sinned. What was your reaction? Imagine this. Sometimes a little autobiographical pericope here. Sometimes when my wife or my children sin, I show my surprise by becoming impatient or becoming angry. Impatience is a form of anger, and so I used a form of anger, which is impatience, or I just used the big bucket category of anger. And sometimes when my wife and children sin, I, I show my surprise or my reaction by becoming impatient or angry with them. Can you believe that? It's true. What, what is it about me that motivates me to compound their problem with mine? It's like rolling up on a traffic accident, and rather than being redemptive at that moment of the traffic accident, I just ram my car right into the pre-existing pileup. Have you ever done that? 
It's in moments like these that I need to rethink what my family did and how I reacted to them. Complicating a pileup in your home is one of the dumbest, if not insensitive, things that, that I could do. To, to sin or be sinful is native to all of us, and, and though it may grind against your polite soul to, to hear what I'm saying here, and that's why some of you, some have already cut me off. They're not here, so I can't. They won't hear me say that. But they've already cut me off because they don't like to talk about it. They, they, they don't like these kinds of discussions. Being sinful, sinning, is native to every one of us. The truth is is that, that sin is one of the things that we do best. Expecting your family or friends to stop sinning entirely is not just unrealistic, but it's unbiblical. To have that expectation about anyone's propensity to transgress is a setup for ongoing disappointment. If you push that type of idealism too far, you'll never be happy until there is perfection in your life or theirs, which means you will never be happy. How many times have you complicated a sinful circumstance by responding sinfully to sin. Perhaps you've done it this week. Maybe you've done it today. When you convolute, like what I was saying, when I sin against my wife or sin against my children, when I convolute, when you convolute a terrible situation with your own badness, you will add to the original bad thing that happened. It's this inevitability in our lives that I say that you need to budget some sin into your future experience. If you prepare for it, if you prepare for it, sin won't catch you off guard. When it happens, it's like, it's like life insurance or auto insurance. If you have life insurance, what have you done? You've budgeted it into your future experience. And so when it comes, or when the tragedy comes, you're not so discombobulated and taken off guard. And so you're troubled enough by it, but not troubled in such a way because you have prepared for it. You have budgeted it into your life experience, life insurance, auto insurance. You're not cynical, and I'm not talking about being cynical, fatalistic, pessimistic. I'm talking about being a realist. A person who doesn't have a will, a person who doesn't have life insurance, auto insurance, funeral insurance. We just went through that with Lucia's dad passing away. They had funeral insurance or whatever you call it, and it made a terrible situation easier to work through. So I'm not talking about being cynical, fatalistic, pessimistic. I'm talking about being a realist. You're not that person who lives. You don't want to be that person who lives under the negative cloud, always predicting the sky is going to fall. Not that kind of sin-centered negativity. I'm speaking of the optimistic Christian who has a sound understanding of total depravity and redemption. Total depravity exclusively, and that's all you believe in, and oh, Lord, help you. Total depravity only is sin-centered. Redemption only is the grace mistake. And you do have people who redemption only or grace only people, and they don't like to talk about the bad things in their lives. That's a grace mistake. It's an abuse of grace. 
You only need grace because of fallenness. If there weren't any fallenness, there would be no need for grace. And so total depravity, if you hang out in that neighborhood all the time and exclusively you're sin-centered, don't do that. And redemption only is a grace mistake. But to hold both in the right biblical tension is gospel-centered. The individual who fortifies their mind with the realities of their fallenness will be able to jump to restorative efforts that rebuild broken lives rather than reacting to the brokenness that inevitably will come. Suppose you receive the training to to be the first responder to the traffic accidents in your lives. When you roll up on the scene, you, you roll up your sleeves and you get to work. You don't drown in sorrow the sin-centered person, because of what happened. And you don't pretend it didn't happen. And so you don't drown in sorrow on one end, and you don't pretend the grace mistake I was talking about earlier, that it, it didn't happen. Alternatively, the ill-equipped believer makes matters worse. And this is what I was saying earlier about being surprised and reacting sinfully because you're ill-equipped. You haven't budgeted the reality of sin into your future experience. These people are like the onlookers of the accident. They bring critique, not restorative efforts. It's so easy to complicate a problem with our unbiblical attitudes. I am not advocating that you sin more. Again, you're not strategizing to do it. I've already said that. And I'm not advocating that you have no guard upon your heart to stem the tide of your fallenness. I am recognizing that sin is coming out of you, whether you like it or not. And the same applies to your family and friends, and that's why you want to prepare, budget it, as I'm using that language. They are going to disappoint you. An ounce of biblical realism will prove to have an immeasurable positive effect on the outcome. Imagine how much more productive you could be in your friends' lives if you accepted the reality of their fallenness. Let me ask you a couple questions. Is it, is it hard for you to live with this kind of expectation, living in this kind of reality that broke accidents are going to happen? There's going to be traffic accidents. Sin's going to happen. You're going to do it. They're going to do it. Is it hard for you to live with this kind of optimistic expectation. Question two, had you rather bury your head in the sand and pretend that they won't make mistakes, that they won't disappoint you? I do not recommend this strategy. Too many Christians do not like living in reality. They prefer to pretend that the harsher side of human evil is out there somewhere. It's an unfortunate worldview. Somewhere between debilitating pessimism, that's that negative attitude, that sin-centered attitude, somewhere between debilitating pessimism and blind optimism, just pretending, somewhere between those two things is biblical reality that fuels a well-balanced life. Living outside this middle ground, this gospel-centered ground, it will either lead you to depression on one side, or self-righteous reactions when folks disappoint you. The despairing person lifts their head from the sand to see how disappointing folks can be, and they just despair. The self-righteous person reacts with anger as though they are not capable of doing similar evil. It reminds 
you of the parable, right, in Luke 18, where the Pharisees, the Pharisee was just standing off by himself. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax, tax collector. And you remember what the self-righteous Pharisee said, I thank God I'm not like this person. That's, that's a self-righteous reaction to a person. And so let me go back to my first set of questions. What about you? Have you ever been overly surprised or wrongly disappointed at your sin? If you have, you probably have a high view of yourself. When we pity ourselves in the context of what I'm speaking here, it's because we are looking down on ourselves from our lofty perches. Think about it like standing on a chair. Let's say in your living room, in your kitchen, you're standing on a chair, and you're looking down on yourself. That, that analogy describes self-pity. It's you exalted from your perch, looking down on you, who, that person who just sinned. You don't like the person that you see way down there. You pity that person who would commit such a violation against God's law. The irony is, is that you're looking at yourself. You're the person who transgressed. You don't like what you see in yourself. Thus, it depresses you. Or to say it more clearly, you depress you. It's because your view of yourself is too exalted in your mind. You're not that, or you shouldn't be, that highly perched person on the chair. You need to come down from your lofty perch and accept the truth about yourself. You, me, we are low-down, dirty, rotten sinners in need of God's intervening and empowering grace. Without the Lord's empowerment to stem the tide of our fallenness, there is no known boundary for, for what we may possibly do. Rather than being so impressed with yourself, or better said, being impressed with the image of the person that you want to be, that highly exalted person, you need a dose of reality. If you think like Paul, who saw himself as the foremost sinner, you know the verse in Timothy 1.15, then you're in the best possible place to think clearly and respond appropriately to your mistakes. Rather than being impressed with yourself, you can train your mind to be impressed with the Lord. Overfixating on your sin, I've talked earlier about overfixating on someone else's, but overfixating on your sin describes a proud person, someone from a lofty perch looking down on the pitiful, looking down on yourself. Now, if this temptation is yours, I do have a suggestion for you. Don't overfixate on your sin. For every one look that you take at your sin, take ten looks at Jesus. Train yourself to have a gospel-centered fixation. The gospel-centered mindset displaces the self-centered one. Then when you sin again, you won't be disappointed as much as you will have prepared yourself how to respond. Perhaps you could say it like this. Yes, I do sin. I am aware of this. Thus, I'm not surprised that I did it. More importantly, I'm prepared because Christ has made a way for folks like me. I may be the foremost sinner, as Paul described in 1 Timothy 1.15, but in the next verse he says God, God, God's grace is strong. God's grace is greater than all my sin. Perhaps you can think something like that. And so with this kind of mindset, you have budgeted sin into your future experience, and you are ready to be Christ to others when they fail. 
Rather than reacting harshly to the dumb things they do, now you have prepared your mind that is ready to jump on the Lord's restoration team, EMS, Effectual Mercy Service. That's not what it actually means, but it could mean that for us. There is a way to gauge yourself to see how well you are progressing from a surprised, sin-centered worldview to a proactive, gospel-centered one. All you have to do is assess your latest reaction to someone's mistake, whether yours or one of your friends. It doesn't matter. Your reaction to your sin or your reaction to someone else's. Your response to evil is the evaluation that will tell you where you are with the Lord, where you are with that person, and your understanding of evil and the gospel. Perhaps you can think about it as the surprise factor. You may be surprised or disappointed. Sure, I think you'll always be surprised or disappointed to a minimal degree, but you reorient your mind quickly because your more compelling desire is restoration. And so I don't want you to punish yourself or beat yourself up because you were surprised that your child sinned, but if you stay there and if a sinful reaction comes out of you, you do have some work to do. But what you're really looking for is how quick do you reorient your mind to this desire to be part of God's EMS, effectual mercy service, God's restoration team. Because what you want is a, a right response at the right time to the person who, who is struggling. And so how are you doing with all of this? What, what are some other ways do you respond poorly to sin or the sin of others? Would you talk to someone about these things? Who is the person that the Lord is bringing to mind right now that you can talk to? Maybe you need to go to someone and tell them, I I responded sinfully. We do that somewhat regularly in our home, by the way, and that's okay. Uh, Christians can do that. We can repent of our sin. Isn't that a fantastic thing? The title of this podcast is, You Need to Budget the Expectation of Sin into Your Life. I didn't share everything in this article. I did share most of it, but you are so welcome to read it. It is free, and I'm so thankful that you have listened to this podcast. God bless.